and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, and welcome to episode number 60, where today I have Susie York, who is a board member and founder of Love Good Fats. Now, this was an awesome episode. I feel extremely honored and privileged to have had the opportunity to sit down with Susie and have a good chat. Now, the vast majority of you may actually already be familiar with Susie and Love Good Fats, and all you need to do is jump on Google or LinkedIn, and you'll find some really fantastic in-depth articles and interviews on her hypergrowth business and leadership and marketing and her professional career for you all to digest. And because of this, I decided to take a different approach with this episode, so I actually reached out to LinkedIn and I asked a question which was, if you had the chance to sit down with a food-based CBG founder who had grown their business to $100 million in revenue in three years and closed well over $10 million in financing, what would you most want to know? And the response by you all was awesome. So thank you very much of you who all contributed and asked some questions. Um, I did have to pair it back because I knew that I would only have 30 minutes with Susie. So I only managed to ask eight questions, but that was fine. Susie provided us with some awesome responses, extremely insightful and in-depth. And to be honest, like like I said at the start, it was such an honor and a privilege to sit down with Susie and I had a cold beer and Susie had a glass of red and it was awesome. So look, sit back, um, relax and enjoy the episode. But before we do kick off into the show, just a couple of housekeeping things to mention. Now, the first one is our show sponsors, Foodpack and Futurepreneur Canada. Now, Foodpack, as you know, is the organization that I work for in Vancouver, and we've been in business for well over 50 years. So we've got the experience and knowledge and capability required to set you up with the right flexible package for your business. But it's not only flexible packaging that we specialize in. We also specialize in packaging equipment like Cipramac vacuum chamber machines, repack tray sealers and thermoformers band sealers, you name it, we've got it. We've got a showroom where you can bring in your product and package it up and make sure that what you're about to invest in is the right product for your business. Now, I was actually really fortunate enough to have appeared on the Commerce Life podcast with Phil and Kenny Venucci, uh, where we actually talked about sustainability in the flexible packaging world. So if you're interested, head on over to their podcast. It was a great conversation and you may learn a little about sustainability in flexible packaging and the infrastructure that is or isn't in place at the moment uh, surrounding it. Now, Futurepreneur Canada. Now, I feel really fortunate to be sponsored by Futurepreneur. They're doing some amazing things for um, entrepreneurs out in the world just like you. Um, But the cool thing about Futurepreneur is that the key function that they play is with financing and mentoring where you can access up to $60,000 in finance, which also comes paired with an expert business mentor for up to two years. But prior to this though, Futurepreneur has a lot of great resources available for helping you to manage and grow your business like exploratory programs to help develop your business idea, an interactive business plan writer to help you write a a viable business plan and also pre-launch coaching. 
So if you're aged between 18 and 39 and looking to start a business in Canada, head to futurepreneur.ca forward slash pack heavy. You can also scroll down into the show notes and click on the link and you can sign up to connect with a Futurepreneur business development manager and learn how Futurepreneur can support you and your precious idea and startup business. Susie, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Hayden. I'm thrilled to be here. I know. It's an honor to have the opportunity to sit down in front of you and have this conversation. So thank you very much for that opportunity. I know you're an extremely busy woman. And yeah, I'm really excited for this uh, this brief conversation that we can have today. Awesome. Let's go. All right. Now, Susie, you've built something incredible at Good Fats. And, um, and I'm sure you've possibly even surpassed your own expectations in what you've built. And you've also received a huge amount of exposure and recognition, and you've also been the recipient of some amazing awards over the last couple of years. Now, because there's already so much information out there you all, on you already in, um, I mean, when I was doing my research, I'm like, do I even really need to have this conversation with you? Because I, I learned everything in reading articles out there. Um, but I wanted to take a different approach with this interview. So I went to LinkedIn. And I asked my audience a question, which was, if you had the chance to sit down with a food-based CBG founder who had grown their business to $100 million in revenue in three years and closed well over $10 million in financing, what would you most want to know? And the response was awesome. Um, I was able to collect a bunch of really well thought out questions that real food-based CBG founders and people embedded in the industry would like to ask you. So are you down for that? I am. All right, let's do it. Now, typically before I get an episode started, though, I like to say, where are you from? Where did you grow up? But like I said, if people want to get into that level of detail with you, I think they can get online and, uh, and have a read themselves. So I think we should just kick off and get straight into the LinkedIn questions. So let's get started. Question number one was from Laurie Joyce, who is the founder and CEO of Better With Ice Cream. Are you familiar with Laurie? they know Lori. Yeah, she's doing some great things out there. And she wanted to know everything. And I wanted a little bit more of a specific question than that. So let's just move over past Lori. <laughs> and let's go to Steve Candland, who is the co-founder and operator at Traveler's Soda. So he said, how you made it through the death funnel, or he wants to know how you made it through the death funnel, which is basically how you made it past the first $1 million in revenue. And who believed in you to fund the crazy upfront cost of getting a CPG um, brand off the ground? Well, the, the, so that's a great question. Getting the first million is the, the most important milestone up front. And uh, I was very fortunate. We exceeded that, I think, in the first five or six months. Wow. And um, the, the way we exceeded that to answer both questions is I had some early angel investors um, a few people that uh, that I met, uh, one be uh, a few became um, members of the board and mm -hmm. then advisors. So it was really a small group, and I was able to raise three hundred ninety-seven thousand prior to cutting the POs for full up production, and that funding allowed uh, to get the the products, the bars made. Mm -hmm get them on the shelf, uh, two, two bars only on the shelf in about a dozen stores and then roll out to about 150 stores by month four. Mm -hmm. And between that and then launching two more bars that took another uh, small round of 250,000 mm -hmm. uh, by, by just doing those two things. So raising, do it, 
producing two bars, getting them on shelves in 150 stores, then mm. producing two more, then trying to, you know, get them listed in a couple more stores, we were we were exceeding a million dollars. So That's we're very fortunate that the velocities were that strong, that yeah. fast. And and that ties into the second question, which is from Dr. James Richardson. Have you heard of Dr. James Richardson? He's got a yeah. great book out there. Uh, yeah. yeah. I purchased his book. So did I. And I started reading it on Sunday. It's a good read. I just started digging into it. And his question was, are your, are your velocities still growing and are you profitable? Well, so I launched the brand in September, 2017. Within a few months, we had exceeded a million dollars within uh, 12 months. Our our run rate, our monthly run rate was over $7 million. So we, we smashed a lot of uh, records uh, at at all the banners that we were in. We went up to number one and two skew, uh, and part of uh, part of that was being at you know the having the right positioning product price mm-hmm. value at the right time because there's a big groundswell for the good fats message. Yeah. Good fats message was about uh, distilling the myth that fats were not good for you. I was misinformed. We were all misinformed. My mission was to change that and to say to the world, hey, fats are good and do that the way I know how to do that is launching a brand that screams that. Mm -hmm. So that was part of the mission. I launched that. I never even thought that keto the ketogenic diet would take off the way it did. Mm. So I was very grateful that, you know, not only did I have the right brand, but the, 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 all of the medical books that were written on fats and ketogenic diets created this huge groundswell Mm. of consumers adopting and trying this ketogenic diet. And guess what? They felt better um, now there's, you know, diabetes uh, reversal and yeah. there's weight loss, as we know. So I just launched the perfect brand at the perfect time. Mm. It was a soft bar, melt in your mouth. You know, fats definitely make products taste better. Yeah. And then keto took off. So we had all of that momentum, which made us smash uh, records. Then COVID hit a couple of years ago now. So a couple of years into our launch. And that devastated the, the, the nutritional bar, energy mm-hmm. bar, protein bar market. Mm-hmm. So we're certainly, you know, have not, uh, we've slowed down our growth versus that, that record smashing numbers. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, totally understand that consumers decided to stay at home and, and make banana bread and mm. uh, eat carbs instead of uh, instead of kind of the you know the health uh, the health trend that was really accelerating in terms of removing sugar from your diet mm. and cutting out carbs so that you could have the health successes that uh, that come from you know a, a low carb and low sugar diet. Yeah, you're totally right. I think people moved in either one of two directions. They either went to comfort food and they yep. fell off potentially a diet that they were uh, restricting themselves to, or they yeah. saw it as an opportunity to reevaluate their lifestyle. And they took the opportunity that COVID gave them to improve their lifestyle. So yeah, yeah I've seen both situations play out yeah. actually. 
Yeah, for sure. The, and I have some friends that have done both and they had the home gyms and then they're, but unfortunately, you know, the first six months, I think were, were about the comfort food and the, yeah. you know, the deep, deep fear that we all had. Um, and then it's like, oh my goodness, you're like this, you know, this is not going away right away. And then mm. you can't keep, you know, eating, eating bread and, and, and muffin and banana bread for, for, um, so I think there was kind of a bit of a resurgence of like, Ooh, I really have to take care of my health. I think a lot of the research came out that if, if you work compromise in terms of, uh, uh, um, diabetes or overweight, you are yeah. much more susceptible to dramatically increased uh, impact of COVID. Mm. So, it, you know, your, your immune's compromised. So there's a lot of, of reasons why consumers wanted to get back to, let's, you know, like, I can't, can't do this forever. I got to take care yeah. of my physical self. Yeah. Um, in addition to the mental self with all yeah. the stress. Um, and now we're into another wave of COVID. So yeah. it's just like, oh my goodness, you know, it's not an easy journey for, for everyone. No, it's not. It's a, it's a marathon in our personal lives and it seems to be a marathon in business life as well. And at the end of the mm -hmm. day, those two are really inseparable. So how are you finding it at the moment? Are you managing to keep on top of everything mentally and physically as well? Yeah, for sure. For me personally, I think COVID was a little bit of a, a personal gift. You know, yeah. I'd been running really, really hard for three yeah. years. Yeah. I was, you know, I was a single mom and then I met my my partner. We're now engaged. Congratulations. I didn't see much of her for, uh, for two years, two yeah. and a half years. I was traveling nonstop. I didn't see my two kids, my, yeah. my tween and my, my older teen. Um, COVID just forced me to, you know, to slow down and, mm. and be at home more. So that mm -hmm. was a gift. Uh, we got three little rescue doggies. Um, and I, you know, with my type of career in the last 20 years, I'd never had dogs. And, yep. you know, that was, that was a gift to my mental health. You know, I'm walking them two, three times a day and I live close to, uh, the five kilometers long beach in Beautiful. Toronto. Yeah. So for me, it, it was certainly, um, a very welcome forced me to slow down, uh, gift on the personal side. That's great. It's a great way to look at it. The next question is from John Funcombe, who is the GM at Foodpack, which is actually the company that I work for. I'm in the boardroom right now. Uh, John wants to know when you realized, or when was it that you realized that you had a product or a company that was in the position to take the leap to the level you've ultimately achieved? Was it a revenue target, a contract you're awarded, et cetera? Well, I, I think for all startups, it's kind of the same. And this, this kind of insecurity of like, oh, I don't know if, if we're there yet, yep. uh, maybe lives with, with everyone, but, um, it really is a stepping stone. You know, the first step is, you launch your brand and you're in 10 stores and mm -hmm. then you're, you get to a hundred and then you get to expand outside of, you know, in our case, Toronto or Ontario and outside of natural. And then once you're outside of natural, you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Like we're doing well in natural. So mm -hmm. we're hitting the velocities we need to hit. In our case, we were number one and two selling SKUs in natural, like, but, you don't need to be number one and two. You just need to be in the top 20 mm -hmm. to know you have something that's really good. Okay, check. Now we go into grocery. 
same kind of fear, like, oh, wait a minute, are we going to do well in grocery? Are we moving too quickly in grocery? And then in our case, we are top performing SKUs. Okay, check. Now we move to mass. Oh, wait a minute. We're moving to mass really fast. Do we, are we going to still perform in mass, right? Check. Mm -hmm. And then in club. So it's always kind of these four steps when you're retail. Um, it's different for e-com, but when you're a retail brand. And, um, you know, I don't know if a founder ever kind of sits back and say, oh, we got it now, you know, mm -hmm. because, you know, my career, 20 years of building brands prior to being an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you know, I was at the best companies, Frito-Lay, PepsiCo. Yep. You never sit back and say, oh, I got it, right? And I was at, at large companies when share leadership mm -hmm. that had been earned for 30 years was lost. Mm. You can never snooze. Mm. So, uh, so it's kind of the same, you know, kind of the same with startups. I don't know yep. if there's ever that check mark. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, what were the financial metrics that you put the most value in? Will you have been scaling your business to evaluate, to evaluate the company's um, performance? Yeah, well, the financial metrics, you know, we had a three-year P&L, like even before, you know, way before we had a product yeah. uh, that that made sense, way before we had a board. Um, it's just kind of, you know, my background, how I live, I've been building brands for all my career. Yeah. When you build brands, you have to have, you know, one-year marketing plan, P&L, mm -hmm. uh, two and three-year strat plan. So the, the three-year strat plan and financial metrics are really, really key. And they got to be, they have to be grounded in, you know, these like decent kind of assumptions that make sense mm. um, and that will be proven to be validated. So that's kind of the guiding light. The, the assumptions behind the three-year P&L are your velocities, your costs, um, and your expenses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you kind of get all these pulled together and that's really what your KPIs are. Mm -hmm. Um and then you just kind of track to that. If you have enough experience, you kind of have the right KPIs and mm -hmm. you're measuring against the right KPIs. Often you will underestimate your expenses, overestimate your revenue and your velocities, and then you have to course correct your KPIs and your mm -hmm. P&Ls. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Sam Nebel, who is the co-founder of Good Wipes, would like to know, what were your payment terms with vendors, manufacturers, third-party logistics, for example, and how or what were you able to leverage on the negotiating table to shift them? Yeah, on payment terms and costs, like the world has really changed. Mm. I, uh, 10 years ago, I worked for a company that self-funded because of payment terms. Yeah. Actually, and then seven years ago, I worked for another company that also self-funded with payment terms because they were buying some botanicals and they were able to have you know, very favorable payment terms with the cost of goods. Unfortunately, it, you know, in our situation, the world has changed. And now I think with COVID, it's even worse. Mm. Um, you, you, It's really, really hard to find uh, opportunities where you'll have, you know, uh, product vendors that will allow you to, to kind of fund the scaling. So where you, you pay your goods, after you get paid by your vendors. So uh, it's kind of the standard where, you know, the large, uh, the large retailers will offer you payment terms of 10 days, 30 days, six, you know, 60 days, depending yep. what 
discounts you want to take. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. you have to pay your your production in a shorter timeline yeah. than that. Um, it's just, it's not a, it, you cannot rely on on that payment term dynamic to mm. fund your, your the scaling of your company anymore. Yeah, yeah. It may be something that you have to do when you're bootstrapping, but as soon as you get some investment, then you've sort of got to utilize that, don't yep. you, I guess? Unfortunately, yeah. yep. Yep. Uh, Dagmir, and I'm not sure, I'm sorry, Dagmir, I'm going to butcher your last name. Dagmir Abaug, who is a global storyteller, would like to know what your employee engagement metrics look like and what your retention and hiring rates are. So the uh, so when we started, we were really just, you know, one employee at 2017, 2018, and we were four employees in 2018. We we're able to scale about $10 million run rate with four employees and a lot of, a lot of kind of, um, favors and connections with some contractors because I had been in, in the business for 10 years. So mm. I was able to be, you know, very scrappy, very bootstrapping and just kind of outsource like, okay, I need graphic designer, I need website, yeah. I need codes, I need help here and there. And there's a lot of people that were able to help. At one point I had 30 outsourced different contacts. Yeah that were helping on an hourly rate and, mm-hmm. and, and just, I had, you know, worked with a lot of people for the last 30 years and, yeah. um, and whatnot. Then we scaled pretty quickly and, uh, we hired a lot of people. Our run rate was, you know, at one point we were a run rate of a, over $80 million as we were scaling. And, uh, I had, you know, hired my executive team, and my executive team was doing a lot of the hiring. So we were scaling for growth and then uh, hiring a little bit ahead of, or yeah, ahead of, of the revenue growth, which is something that in my CPG experience, you, you never, or I had never done, um, you know, uh, you're a little bit more conservative to hire once the growth is there, but we were a hyper growth company. So we were hiring ahead and then COVID hit. Mm. So we really had to pivot, pivot, pivot. I guess everyone's tired of the word pivot pivot, now (laughs) and scale down. Yeah. Uh, So that kind of changed a lot of the, a lot of the metrics. And we unfortunately had to, you know, downsize multiple times. So we're, you know, we're at a third of the size that Mm -hmm. we thought we would be and we were hiring for, but we're right sized, you know, we're right size for a a brand that now will have, you know, two years of uh, of kind of having to, you know, thread water a little bit. Mm-hmm. And as, as all, st- I mean, the the stories of startups are are, are brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, you're launching a brand with with you know the inability to do awareness and trial and and to have in store discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the you know, what you would have on paper in the past, a lot of those metrics all went out the window. Okay. You know, um, being the founder of a startup business, I can imagine there would be a lot that's on your mind every single day. And, you know, the things that have kept you up at night over the last three years would have changed from day to day. And now what are the things that have kept you up at night throughout the the three-year period that you've been operational? Like, have there been sort of some key things where you've reflected and you're like, you know what, like it's the finance piece that keeps me up at night that sort of I'm most risk adverse about, or what is it specifically about you? 
Yeah, so for so for our journey, we're very unique. Mm. Uh, most startup and and founders are not in the hyper growth world, and mm. the hyper growth just takes you know a decision that takes two to five years to make, and you're making in two to five months yeah. has a very different implication. So I think you kind of have to be comfortable with uh with a different pace and that's not for everybody mm. um and making decisions perhaps on less information than if you were to go much slower um and have the luxury of you know more data more time more advice more uh you know just uh, you know a larger team to digest it mm-hmm. um that being said like being a founder in a hyper growth this was the third hyper growth i've had the privilege of, of working in so three times you know zero to 100 million run rate in in a matter of 18 months wow. that's very different than a lot of other startups mm. um the typical things that therefore have kept me awake is uh you know cash flow mm. uh and making sure that we're well funded i had you know the the benefit of doing five angel rounds and then a, a series a so i i haven't had the the issues that that a lot of other founders have so i'm very grateful for that so one is cash flow two is you know, the brand, I'm a brand builder, and you want to make sure you're building a brand. Is mm-hmm. this brand, you know, sustainable and differentiated enough? How will we do when we get to the next channel, the next channel, the next channel, and then the next country? Mm-hmm. So the brand performance has certainly been top of mind because that the brand performance will solve your cash flow problems mm-hmm. if uh, the brand performance is strong. And then, you know, am I, am I building the right team and the right way and and kind of building the right culture mm. in the right way and when you're moving so fast and you're bringing in a lot of new people um it's hard to kind of you know mold and 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 create the culture that you want because the culture is still at the infancy stage mm. and then how do you you know scale all of the learnings and and uh and kind of what you really want it to do that's important. So when you're scaling that fast, I think those are some of the challenges you face. So those would be the three things that were always top of mind. Fantastic. A do-over question. This is a good one. So Rick Gagner, who is the principal consultant at 2NA Box Consulting, would like to know, if you had the opportunity to do a do-over, what would you do differently? Well, for sure, you know, I was 50 years old and I launched my first startup. I took my mm-hmm. life savings. I was a single mom. I had my kids' university funding. I certainly, you know, uh, didn't have a, a lot of money. I grew up sharing an apartment with a bedroom with my mom in a small apartment for 13 yeah. years. Like I have, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, like a life story that didn't lead to uh, you know, to lead to kind of having the, the, the privilege of being able to kind of launch a brand and, mm-hmm. and fail. Uh, but it just all worked out. Um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of things. And, and then, and then I launched, you know, a hyper growth brand that, it, that was exceeding the number one and two and three and four brands in one of the most aggressive categories you can launch in, in bars. Mm-hmm. And rolled out into the U.S. And then mm. we know that brands like, you know, 
Tim Hortons, Jameson, and big, you know, cold effects, big brands that us Canadians know, mm-hmm. they all failed mm. in the US. So, uh, and then COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so, uh, so uh, the things that have been done differently, well, uh, you know, if we, if we knew that COVID was going to kind of hit the, hit the world, then I, I think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of things would have been different done differently. But mm. I, on, on that one, I think, you know, we, no one would have ever have predicted that type of dynamic. And yeah. it, it's been devastating on the portable nutrition and on the go bars. Mm-hmm. Um, so had I known that, you know, there could be like a, an onslaught in, in store discovery and, and, um, and, and on the go and all the shutdowns and, mm. uh, you know, all, all the, all the issues we've experienced, I, I, I probably would have like, like slowed down, you know, not launch in the U S mm-hmm. you know, hire much, much slower. Like a lot of things would have been like all the, all the decisions that founders are doing now to mm-hmm. conserve cash and get through this, you know, never ending, uh, COVID and potential, you know, potential massive economic down, downturn and now, mm-hmm. you know, inflation and infl- infl- inflationary costs, like all of those major, major uh, unpredictable issues. Like I, you know, we, I, I would have made a lot of different decisions. But, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I don't I don't know what to do with that one, given, yeah. uh, given COVID. I know. It's been rough. Now, you're obviously a strong leader, and a lot of people look up to you. But who do you look to to lean on when you're making decisions or when you've got sort of a question that you're trying to bounce off people? Well, thank you. Um, as, you know, all leaders that will have kind of their own style and a different style, I yeah. do tend to lean on what I consider are my close advisors. Um, so when it came to, so I was very fortunate. I created a board right off the bat and I had additional advisors around, you know, former bosses, yeah. um, uh, former coworkers and, and good contacts. Mm-hmm. So I, I leaned quite heavily. Uh, you know, I wasn't like a, you know, a two board, um, type of company, uh, yeah. like I, I was more co- like, I, uh, for me, what made sense given my kind of leadership style is to have like a, a larger group mm-hmm. around. And I think anyone who knows me, I have no shame in saying, you know, what do you think I need help? I want to run this by you. Yeah. And I will listen always and digest. And I have, you know, I'm an engineer by training. Mm-hmm. I process things in a certain way. I'm on the autistic spectrum, mm-hmm. but I certainly am a little kind of machine who will want to digest and get a lot of input so that I can kind of like, you know, step back yeah. and, and make overall the best decisions. And, um, you know, that's kind of how it worked. I was very fortunate to have a, a, a talented board that I trust, some advisors. I brought in some senior executives mm-hmm. um, and I leaned on them. I had a general manager uh, for a while 
uh, and I really kind of leaned on the talent uh, and the people that I trusted around to kind of mm-hmm. bounce things around and, yeah. you know, together to try to make the best decision. That's great. Last question. If we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you've had your best year ever. So I'm talking about your best year in life, your best year in business, whatever you choose. What would you have accomplished? Ah, my best year ever. ever. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I've stepped aside from the day-to-day management. Mm-hmm. So I'm not the CEO of Love Good Fat. So yep. we've, uh, we've, uh, We've hired a CEO. So with that context, um, in terms of the best year, like, you know, found health and my relationship with uh, my fiance and then our, our four kids together mm-hmm. uh, are really, really high on the list. And that would include, uh, you know, getting married. Uh, we all are big travelers. And after two years of being at home, yeah having the opportunity to, you know, to just get to the warm climates and, uh, and spending some kind of downtime, relaxing time together. It's been a very stressful four years. Yep. So that would all, you know, rank very high in the list. We have one daughter graduating university, one more starting. I mean, there's big life phase changes and kind of supporting the family through that, uh, these special years, despite this COVID is really key. On the business side, you know, there's there's like a, a world, an oyster open to me, like I'm, I'm figuring out what makes sense uh, for me in, in the next 12 months. I have mm-hmm. so many opportunities. I have about 24, two dozen fellow female founders that I'm networking with. And I'm going to start a, you know, female founder networking group. I have a lot of consulting opportunities. I have potentially, you know, a whole bunch of things that I can do in addition to being on the board of Love Get Fats and really kind of support my fellow board members and our new, you know, CEO and management team to kind of, you know, come out of COVID strong and, uh, and, 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 you know, and drive this brand to the, you know, the hundred million dollars goal we've had uh, from day one. That's going to happen. It's really exciting. I, you know, five, 10 years ago, like if you had have been able to look forward into the future that far, would you have ever imagined that you'd be in the seat that you're in right now? Well, it, you know, COVID aside, no, because yeah. yeah. no one would have imagined COVID obviously, yeah. but or perhaps some scientists somewhere, but you know, the majority <laughs> no. but I, you know, I never thought that at age 50, I would take my life savings yeah. and Huge. become an entrepreneur. So yeah never imagine age 55 now uh, a new venture opens up for me so it's Mm -hmm. uh never never would i thought that uh i think i'm from the generation of you know you 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 have freedom 55 you work 25 30 years and then you retire yeah so uh definitely busting all those myths yeah well congratulations for all of your success Thank you so much for all of the advice and all of the information that you put out on LinkedIn as well. I always really love reading that. And uh, I've got a cold beer and you've got a glass of wine and it's lovely to share a drink with you. Perfect. Thanks, Hayden. (laughs) No worries, Susie. Thank you very much for your time. Cheers. Thanks again for taking the time to tune into today's episode. I would like to briefly mention Foodpack and Futurepreneur Canada, our two show sponsors. Head on down to the show notes and click on the link and have a look on their websites. They both have an enormous amount of value that they can bring into your lives and businesses. Um, Two things before we leave. 
please leave a rating or review. That would mean the absolute world to me. I can also be contacted if you've got any questions at Hayden at the You can also find me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thanks a lot. See you next week.